This is Real Estate Rookie episode 314. Recently, we've seen a lot of banks do an interest rate, um, lower your interest rate if you pay points. So it's almost like a a buy down Mm -hmm. for your interest rate. Um, So if you pay two points or three points, your interest rate has lowered and is now this. And this is where you have to go and actually do the math and long-term for the life of your loan, what is actually the better deal. My name is Ashley Kerr and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson. And welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, where every week, twice a week, we bring you the inspiration, motivation, and stories you need to hear to kickstart your investing journey. Uh, And we're back here in the Real Estate Robinson studio. Uh, with Ashley Carey here in uh, here in SoCal, so Ash flew down from uh, from the uh, northern parts of Canada, wherever she's at, uh, <laughs> to to come hang out with us in, in Southern California. Her first time really like doing LA, so we're gonna be in LA all day tomorrow at the Spotify Studios. Uh, so we gotta we gotta like plan some cool things for you to do. I wish I wish you would come during basketball season because I 100 percent would have taken you to a Laker game. Oh my gosh, I'm I'll definitely come have you ever back been to, to go have to you that. Ever been to? I've never been to an NBA game. Oh, I've done oh, like college March Madness okay. before, but never. We gotta to an NBA we gotta game. like LA Laker games are a different breed of basketball. Yeah. Gotta, okay. Uh, next time we gotta plan it out so you come during basketball. I'm gonna season. make sure our producers need me back. Out here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anytime between like October and like uh, May. Okay. Yeah. I've been to Newport Beach okay. twice, yeah. and that is like my closest to, to LA, LA, really. Yeah. yeah. And technically, we're in the suburbs. I'm like 45 minutes outside of LA, um, but we'll, we'll be in the heart of it tomorrow. So yeah. Like, and him joking that I'm close to Canada or in Canada, wherever I am from, the town that he lives in or the airport is literally the name named. of a place in Canada. Yeah. So I, my, my hometown is Ontario, California. And it was actually founded by these two guys. Uh, I think they were brothers from Ontario, Canada. Um, so yeah, we are we we do have Canadian ties here. I remember the first time me and Tony were coming to meet, and we both sent our flight information to our producer. Yeah. And I was like, Tony's coming from Canada because <laughs> <laughs> it says Ontario CA. Yeah, being a little bit confusing. Um, cool, but we're here to talk. Ricky replies again today. Yeah, yeah. Um, we we got a, a slate of amazing questions as always. Uh, we talk a little bit about um, paying points. Uh, what are points when doing a mortgage? Um, also, we talk a little bit about digital locks mm-hmm. as to the benefits of doing them for a long term rental and also the cons. And we kind of actually walk ourselves through like an actual system or process as to the locks of how they could be done if you want to be as remote as possible for your your long-term rental as far as changing the locks and having to put new handles on every time somebody moves in and out of your apartment. We talk cash out refinances on this episode too, right? We have two different questions about cash out refinances, what they are, how they work, uh, and a few more questions that I think you guys are going to love. Uh, but before we get into today's questions, I just want to share a recent uh, review that we got for the Real Estate Ricky podcast. I think you guys are going to absolutely love this one. Uh, this is from someone by the username of Listener with about 12 R's. Uh, the title says, get to the point. Uh, and the actual review it said, <laughs> the review itself just says, please cut the fat. And is it is a glowing one-star review. Uh, well, Listener, jokes on you. 
uh, because Ash and I actually have been focused on cutting the fat. Uh, so you guys know I've competed in a few fitness competitions and uh, Ashley actually now has uh, turned a new leaf. We want to tell them what's going on with you. Yeah. So I hired a health and wellness coach. Mm -hmm. So I'm on week two. So um, I can no longer eat past 7 p.m. And since I'm in California time, that deadline ended at 4 p.m. So, so I can no longer, I cannot have dinner with Tony tonight. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, thank you for that review. It's just giving me and Tony even more and more motivation yeah. to cut the fat. Cut the fat. Gain some muscle. Yeah. And <laughs> I, you know, I'm going to put that on a shirt. It's just going to say cut the fat. <laughs> every every episode is going to be like, you know, it's so funny. I was actually, uh, I don't do this often, but I was looking at uh, one of our YouTube videos. And um, it was actually Olivia Tati's episode. Olivia's, you know, she's one of my students. So I was just really happy to see kind of what the response was. And inside of the, the comments, someone commented and they were like, LOL, does he ever change clothes? <laughs> and I replied, and I said, actually, no, I don't. Um, so if you guys are watching this on YouTube, the black teaser are all that I do, but I'm happy now because I'm, I'm rubbing off on Ashley with the with the black tank here today. Yeah, I actually had like a white shirt on that was like a bodysuit, but I realized as the day went on that it actually looked like a white beater. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I probably shouldn't wear that. Yeah. <laughs> but but here's why I wear the black shirts. Like I don't I'm, have I told you this? Like I think so. So like okay, if if you watch a lot of famous people, uh, highly successful business people, you'll notice that a lot of them wear the same exact outfits. Uh, presidents have done this. Uh, uh, Steve Jobs, Mark Zuckerberg, a lot of these people, and they they credit it because it helps with decision fatigue. So for them, you know, if you're the president of the free world, you probably don't want to spend too much time in the morning thinking about what are you going to wear. So you'll see presidents kind of cycle through the same suit just with like different ties every day. Um, Zuckerberg was known for wearing just like a basic plain like bluish tee. Uh, Steve Jobs with the black turtleneck. And the reason they did that was because it was one less decision they had to make throughout the day. So for me, when I wake up in the morning, I go into my closet and there's just nothing but black t-shirts. I just grab whichever one I see first, throw it on and I go on with my day. So I, I literally waste zero mental energy about what I'm going to wear for the day. So that's, that's why I do it. Talk about cutting the fat. And here we are, Tony, talking about his wardrobe <laughs> <Yeah>. choices. <laughs> but I did, I did think that I saw a video and it had to be like an Instagram reel or something somewhere mm -hmm. where someone was saying that it, I think it was Zuckerberg who mm -hmm. talked about that actually was just like joking. Mm -hmm. And then it turned into this trend that like he wasn't actually serious about the decision fatigue mm -hmm. thing. So decision fatigue is real though. Right, right, like, exactly. Yeah. So there, there's a book called, there's multiple books. I've read like a few books on willpower, but one of them is called Willpower Instinct. One's just called Willpower. And in that book, they talk about how if you can decrease the number of decisions that you make in a day, when it comes time to like do the hard things throughout your day, you have more like energy reserves to do that. So I try and cut down on as many decisions. I eat the same food every single day. I don't think about what to pack for my lunch. I wear the same clothes and I really just try and save my mental bandwidth for the stuff that's most important. I 100% agree because I don't want to be the one to make the decision where we're going to dinner. Yeah. Like just little things like that, yeah. like just plan it for me. Mm -hmm. Like I don't want to make the, I 100% agree that it's yeah. real. I was just saying like, I saw this video that Zuckerberg in that instant had just Said, like, was like hey, yeah. Nice. And he was like, just joking, but then it became this big <laughs> this thing, thing. And inspired which, a whole generation. I, before, when I was packing here, it took me forever to pack because I was like, I'm only here for what? 24 hours yeah. and it's like i don't know what to wear yeah. and our producers probably just cut that whole thing yeah. <laughs> but i do uh want to give uh an instagram shout out this one is to emma kyoko 
and her Instagram is Emma K-I-O-K-O. And Emma is talking about the birth strategy. And she also posts about property number two and posts pictures of it and is sharing her journey. So if you want to follow along with Emma's journey, make sure you give her a follow at Emma Kyoko K-I-O-K-O. Last thing. Real Estate Partnerships book. Uh, Ashley Kerr and I have co-authored uh, one of the latest Bigger Pockets titles. So if you want to get a, a an advanced copy or get on the, the pre-order wait list, whatever it's called, head over to biggerpockets.com slash partnerships and you can get on the, uh, the early release list. We're going to pick one lucky winner who buys this book on pre-order. Uh, or I think that you get like a week or two afterwards. Uh, but if you're one of the first people to buy this book, you get entered into a chance to be a guest on this podcast, on the Real Estate Rookie Podcast. We're picking one lucky winner to come sit here on this couch with me and Ashley uh, to record this uh, podcast with us. So again, biggerpockets.com slash partnerships. And if you want to learn about how Ashley and I have used partnerships to scale our businesses, make sure you pick up the book. And you'll have to commit to come here sometime during basketball season so I can go to <laughs> so you come through like game. <laughs> Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent. T-O, retirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages. Until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Okay, our first question today on Rookie Reply is from Kevin Chu. I'm looking to purchase a rental property, all cash, 
and then doing a cash out refinance on that property to have funds to purchase more. In this scenario, would you have to wait the six month period to do the cash out refinance? So let's talk about first that six month period. Mm -hmm. That waiting period is called a seasoning period. And this is where a bank will require you to wait before they will actually do a refinance on your property. And this is very common on the residential side of investing, especially if it's your primary residence, where a bank will look at the property and say, there's no way you could have added $100,000 in equity on your property in six months. Mm -hmm. Um, But they make you wait that period of time before actually going and refinancing. And it does depend on different banks. There are banks that don't have that waiting period. But typical is six to 12 months that you will have to wait from the date you purchase the property Mm -hmm. until you go ahead and refinance the property. And just like a caveat to that, it is just if you're doing a cash out refinance, Mm -hmm. you can do a rate and term. So and maybe we should even explain the differences, right? So um, with a there. So there's two types of refinances that you can do, like the two most common time types. You can do a cash out refinance or you can do what's called a rate and term refinance. So with a rate and term refinance, you're basically just taking whatever your current loan balance is, and then you're getting a new loan for that exact same amount, and you're just stretching it out. Like you're basically re-amortizing that loan and possibly changing the the interest rates. That's why it's why it's called a rate and term refinance. So say that I owe one hundred thousand dollars on one two three Main Street, uh, and I want to do a rate and term refinance. And say I'm, I don't know, I have 20 years left on my mortgage and I'm currently at like a 6% interest rate. So $100,000, 20 years left, 6% interest rate. I can do a rate and term refinance where I take that $100,000, convert it into a new mortgage, and now I get another 30-year term and I can say interest rates came down, now I'm at like a a 3%. So even though the loan balance is the same, if I'm taking that $100,000, I'm re-spreading it out over uh, 30 years and I'm pulling down my interest rate, even though the, 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 the amount in question is the same, my payment should technically go down because of the interest rate and the term being expanded. So that's the, the rate and term. And then a cash out refinance is when you're able to tap into the equity that you have in your property and the bank actually writes you a check uh, for that equity. So say that you have, you know, in equity, when you refinance, you can get a check back for some or all of that $30,000. So that's the difference, cash out refi versus rate and term. So one of the reasons someone might do this is because they went and rehab their property, fix it up, and they want to pull their money back out that they invested into the property. So that's why the question is most likely being asked because somebody is doing that, says here they're looking to purchase a rental property all cash. So they're putting all of their money into it and then they wanna go and pull all of their money back out. Mm -hmm. And you may say, why wouldn't they just go get the loan ahead of time? Because sometimes it is a huge advantage to actually do a cash offer where the seller is more likely to accept your offer if it is all cash instead of getting that financing up front. Mm -hmm. And also if you are buying below market value, so if you're going and buying that property for $100,000 cash, but it's actually worth $120,000. Um, when you go and refinance, you can actually pull out 
the money you did, and maybe even a little more depending on what it actually appraises for, where if you went and just bought the property, you would have to put that 20% or even more down payment down on the property. And then you don't get that back unless you actually go and refinance again. And in that situation, you're paying closing costs twice. Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask, sorry, just really quick. So, um, cause you, you've done a lot of commercial debt also. Um, do you, have you noticed it is different on the commercial side? Like, are they, are they more lenient on the six month seasoning or do you find that it's the same on the commercial side also? I don't know if I've done a refinance on a commercial property within six months of purchasing Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I have, um, yeah, the property, like my big commercial property that I did a refinance on that one was the rehab took six months. And by the time, yeah, so it was already over the time period. So I don't think I've done one even within that time period, but I don't think that there is really that seasoning period Mm -hmm. at all, but I'm not sure on that. Yeah. I'm not, and honestly, I'm not sure what the purpose of the seasoning period is. We should maybe get like a lender in here to answer that question for us. I don't know if it's like a Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac thing where it's like their requirement, um, or if it's just like, like why else would all of these banks adopt this same strategy? Like I would think there's some kind of regulation or something. And like when we say Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, so uh, the the majority of mortgages that are originated in America, a good portion of them are, are resold to Fannie and Freddie. And these are like quasi government entities that dictate, hey, if we're gonna buy a loan from you as the originator, there are certain boxes that you need to check and uh, I'm saying I, I would assume that that's probably where the six-month seasoning comes from, but I don't know. We might need to go get a lender in here to answer it. Yeah, first. I tried to Google, Google it real quick, and it was just saying, what is a cash-out refinance? Yeah. It doesn't actually say Give the answer. why. Um, it, I remember a real estate agent telling me before, and this wasn't a lender, it was an agent, saying that like the lending you know, authorities, <laughs> the lending law, you know, the put it wanted to put in there like there's no way that your property could appreciate so much that you just bought it mm. that's why there's that that waiting period yeah. which, which is crazy doesn't right? really make sense but I, I don't even know if that's true that yeah. was just you know somebody's Someone's opinion opinion yeah. yeah okay our next question is from austin pessy what's up everyone as of now i'm a real newbie with getting into real estate investing I do think I know a lot about real estate now, at least how some of the processes and numbers work. I love numbers, I'm an engineer. However, I'm curious about how a cash out refinance works. When you take the cash out refinance, are you paying a mortgage on the amount you took out or the entire ARV, the after repair value of the house? I appreciate this group. So let's kind of go back there and break it down. So he's where, almost similar to our last question, a cash out refinance question. He's wondering when you take out the cash refinance, are you paying the mortgage on the amount you took out or the entire ARV of the house? So the answer is the amount of the mortgage that you took out is the cash out refinance. So whatever your cash is that you're taking out, plus any other debt maybe you had on the property that you're paying off and rolling into this new cash out refinance, um, that is the amount of your loan. So say your property is worth $100,000, you got it appraised, and the bank is going to lend you $80,000. 
and that is the cash they're going to give you is 80,000. Even though your ARV is 100,000, the after repair value, you're only having to pay mortgage payments on that 80,000 because that is the cash that they are giving you. Yeah, and just like a, a caveat to that, right? So just continuing on with your your example, um, you you can choose when you're doing a cash out refinance if you have the spread, how much cash you actually want to take out as long as you don't exceed that 80% in this example. So again, going back to what Ashley said, say that you have a house at appraised for $100,000. The bank said, hey, we'll give you a loan up to 80,000. But say that you're, you you purchased the property and you rehabbed it and you only spent $50,000. So your all-in cost is now $50,000. You have $30,000 in equity that you could potentially pull out, right? 80 minus 30 is 50. If you wanted to pull out all 30 and bring your loan balance up to, to 80, you could. If you wanted to say, hey, I only want five grand, so I'm going to get a loan for $55,000. Now you pay off your $50,000 of your initial debt plus the 5K that you put in your pocket. Um, so it's really up to you, even with the cash out refinance, in terms of how much you want to pull out. Don't feel like you have to take it all. And you do see sometimes that um, you know investors that are either maybe more conservative or don't want to increase their payment too much by getting a bigger loan, they won't take it all out. And they sometimes they'll leave some equity in the deal as well. So instead of going up to that 80,000, they'll keep it somewhere between 60 or 70. Yeah, especially if the cash flow won't cover mm -hmm. that mortgage payment if you do take the full 80% right. out. Okay, the next question is from Miranda Weber. And just a reminder, reminder guys, if you want to submit a question, you can go to biggerpockets.com slash reply and leave a question for us to answer on the show. So Miranda's question is, do you guys pay for points when doing a mortgage? The only time I have paid for points is when using a hard money lender. So let's talk about first what points are. Mm -hmm. Like I remember going into the bank when I was younger with my mom and they'd have like a whiteboard and would be like, two points and they'd like have things drawn. And I was like, what does that even mean? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so two points is almost like, think of it as in a percentage. Mm -hmm. So if your loan is $100,000 and you're paying two points on it, you're paying 2% on it. And, you know, depending on how the debt is structured, this could be something you pay um, when you sign up for the loan. So when you close on your property and you get the loan or you're refinancing or whatever, when you take the debt on, if this is, you know, a hard money lender, this could be something you are paying when you exit the loan. So when you pay it off, um, a private money lender could spread out the, the 2%, the two points that you're paying over the, the life of the loan. So uh, you're paying your interest payments every month, plus you're paying a, a an additional payment that is paying off those points. So it can be paid out different ways, but typically when you're doing financing through a bank, it will be paid upfront mm -hmm. that the, those points. And what the points do commonly is there's some kind of other benefit you're getting to, and then in return, you're paying those points upfront. So recently we've seen a lot of banks do an interest rate, um, lower your interest rate if you pay points. So it's almost like a, a buy down mm -hmm. for your interest rate. Um, so if you pay two points or three points, your interest rate has lowered and is now this. And this is where you have to go and actually do the math and long term for the life of your loan, what is actually the better deal? 
Also, banks have the the no closing cost uh, loans too. And that's kind of the opposite. You're not paying anything upfront, but you're going to notice your interest rate is is jacked mm-hmm. up on that one. So they make their, their money somehow. Uh, so as far as going through a, a bank and conventional lending, I've never paid any points. Um, with my hard money lender, there were uh, points paid upfront. It was one and a half percent. I actually got a hard money line of credit and it was one and a half percent I had to pay upfront. And then there was um, an exit fee. So if I ended up refinancing and didn't refinance with the hard money lender that had long-term options, I had to pay, I think, 1% to actually exit their program. So it was on the front and the back end Mm -hmm. that I I had to pay those points. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like, so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Yeah, I mean, and like even if we just break down why why the points are there, right? So- uh, and if you're a hard money lender and this information is incorrect, please reach out to me, correct me. Um, but you know, I've, I've met a few hard money lenders and, and the way that their business works oftentimes is, uh, it's not usually just them just sitting on like mountains of cash. Usually they've gone out and they've raised capital from other investors and say they go out and they raise whatever, $50 million. Um, they're going to loan that money out to flippers, real estate investors, whoever, at a predetermined interest rate. Uh, But the hard money lender then has to give a return back to those investors. So in order to increase the spread between what they're lending uh, out and what they're getting back, uh, they charge the points as a way to to generate additional revenue. 
the points are also beneficial because a lot of times it's not like a, a 30 year fixed mortgage where they're getting interest payments forever, right? For three decades, they might be, you know, into a hard money loan for six to 12 months. So imagine if you rent, if you lend money at 10% and you get that money back in six months instead of a year, well, you technically didn't get your whole 10%, you got five. So the points are there as a way to kind of add additional profitability uh, to these these hard money lenders. So just insights on kind of why it's there and why you typically don't see those same points when you're going to like Bank of America to get a, a 30-year fixed mortgage. And something else you may see that's on the commercial side of lending is a commitment fee. And this is something else that's paid up front even before you actually get to the closing table too. So if you're doing commercial lending, you'll get a commitment letter from the bank saying, yes, we are going to lend on the property. Um, and these are the terms. This is the approximate interest rate or, you know, these are the basis points uh, that will be factoring your interest rate um, on depending when your closing is and the life of the loan, if there's a balloon payment, things like that. And then also the terms of the, the loan, such as you need to pro provide us with financials every year. You need to provide us with your tax return, your LLC tax return, things like that. If there is a prepayment penalty, if you pay off your loan early, you're going to be paying, um, you know, extra fees for that and an extra percentage there. But there is the commitment fee. So when you actually sign the letter that, yep, I agree to these terms, I want to continue with the loan, then you're going to have to send in um, a check. And that could be, you know, if you're it can definitely range. I don't know what the average percentage on, but um, the last one I did, I think it was for uh, another investor. I was helping him with it, and he did the loan for three hundred and fifty thousand. I think the commitment fee was around a um, thousand or fifteen hundred dollars. So, I mean that 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 adds up for each little loan. Like totally. it's not a, a not a considered a point, but it's that commitment fee that you have to pay in order for them to even continue to underwrite your deal. The next question is from Kelly Goodall. Short-term rental versus long-term rental. Open and this is down. where me and Tony <laughs> put on the <laughs> How do you decide between the two? I just closed on a property that I'd planned to rent out long-term. It's in a great short-term market and people keep saying we should really consider it. I ran the numbers and they look good. What percentage over your long-term rental income does it make sense to go this route? It obviously would be more involved and costly upfront. I even really like the idea of interacting with guests. After expenses, I'm looking at about 25% more profit year one and 40 to 50% more profit year two. So the first thing I think of is looking at, and I, I, I think that Kelly already did this as far as looking at, you know, what are the different expenses and that she, she at least acknowledges that she would like to interact with guests because I think the operations of short-term rentals, sometimes people get into it and don't realize what it, what it actually into. is. Yeah. Yes. So realizing that you might actually enjoy that is definitely a huge benefit into deciding. And, um, but also look at what your time commitment is going to be. So even if you enjoy doing that, kind of break down like, okay, you're going to be making 25% more profit, but how much more of your time is going to be involved managing the short-term rental versus the long-term rental 
and then kind of break that down to an hourly rate even? I mean, it's, it's a loaded question. Yeah. There, there's so much that goes into this. Um, and, and Kelly, I, I think a lot of it does come down to personal preference. Uh, and like Ashley said, you know, the fact you've already kind of thought through, do you actually want to manage it? I think is important. Uh, a, a couple of things that I think to consider first is, uh, can you legally short-term rent in your market? Uh, what is the sentiment for short-term rentals in that area? Uh, I don't know St. Augustine uh, as a city. I'm not even sure where it's at on the map, honestly. Um, but uh, I, the first thing I would do is... It's in Florida. I, I know it's in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> where, where's Florida, actually? Is that... Um, no, but uh, I think I would check with the city, understand the ordinances. Like, hey, w if I want to legally operate a short-term rental in the city, what boxes do I need to check? There are some cities where it's like block by block, like on this block, you can, on this block, you can't. So you need this kind of zoning versus this kind of zoning you can't. Uh, so really understand, I think the policies first to kind of help even, because you you might look and realize you can't even operate as a short-term rental and, and that would make this a, a moot conversation. Uh, the, the second thing I think I would look at is what is your ultimate goal when it comes to investing in real estate? When you, when you get into the long-term rental space, um, the, the amount of time needed to manage that property. If you do it, the traditional route where you rent out your entire home, uh, and even if you get like a property manager, you can dramatically reduce the amount of time it takes, uh, managing that property. Short-term rentals, on the other hand, require much more active management. Uh, I can tell you a lot of our properties, they turn on average every, you know, two days easily. Uh, some of them less than that. Uh, so we might have 15 people stay at our property in one month. So do you have the desire to kind of manage people at, at volume like that, I think is a big question. Um, and then then ultimately, it's just like, uh, I think the profitability is a big piece. You know, if your goal is to try and really maximize cash flow in the short term, in most situations, you're going to do better with short term rentals. Uh, if your goal is to maybe just maximize long-term appreciation, the tax benefit, and just kind of let it do its thing without it taking up too much of your time, then long-term rentals will be the better play. So a lot of it, I think, comes down to what your unique goals are. What What is it that you're trying to get out of investing in real estate? Okay. Our next question is from Jaspreet Singh. What are some pros, cons of installing digital locks on your long-term rentals? Currently, every time a tenant moves out, we have to arrange for the locks to be changed or rekeyed and then be there to hand over the keys. I'm thinking to install just digital locks next time a tenant moves out so it's easier to just change the code. What are some cons that I might be overlooking? The reason I haven't done this yet is because none of my properties have uh, Wi-Fi, my long-term rentals, except for um, one larger building. But other than that, it's all up to the tenant to purchase their own Wi-Fi. So when somebody moves out, they're shutting down that Wi-Fi. And then while it's vacant or being turned over, there is no Wi-Fi there. And then when the person moves in, they set up their own Wi-Fi. Um, so that has been the reason that I haven't done it. But yeah. Tony, I think you have solutions to that, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, but even just thinking to, to Jaspreet's question, um, it, it sounds like maybe Jaspreet, you're thinking of giving, like not even giving a physical key. So like there would be a key, because even with the digital locks, you still have like an, an actual keyhole. 
but you're saying like not even give the keys to the tenants and just let them use the codes. Um, I mean, I, I, yeah, it's it's definitely a possibility. Uh, even for us in our short-term rentals, we have the keyless entry pads at every single property, but we still have a physical key as a backup because sometimes those things don't always work. Uh, the codes don't work and something might happen or uh, battery side and like you need to get in. So I think you might potentially put yourself in a situation where if the batteries die or something happens, now your tenant is reaching out to you saying, hey, I can't access the property. Um, but to, to your point, Ashley, about the Wi-Fi, these, you know, depending on which model you get, a lot of these keyless entry pads work without Wi-Fi. So A, the, the keypad will always work whether or not it's connected to, to the internet. So even if I'm at the property, and there's no internet at all, as long as I punch in the right key code, it's still going to open. Um, remotely accessing it, you still need Wi-Fi to do that. Uh, but some of these, even if you're close enough with your phone, uh, I'm not sure how the technology works, but even if there's no Wi-Fi, I don't know if it's like Bluetooth or something, you can still access locks that way. So it's possible, I'd say, but um, I'd probably still want to have like a backup physical key somewhere, Jasper, just in case things go off. Um, but to your point, like, I'm, I'm thinking about for you too, right? Like um, like what we do for our guests when they check in is we send them a video of how to use the keyless entry pad. So even for you, like say that you have a, tur a turnover and you don't want to be there to like reset it for them, just send them a video that says, hey, we've already master reset the lock. Uh, here's how you go in and set your own code and get it all set up. And now you're totally hands off on even like the access piece. Yeah. So just something to think about. Yeah, because that's what I was thinking is it looks like they're trying to not go to the property mm -hmm. at all to right. do any of this. So I I guess I'll kind of give you what we do for our thing, and it's not completely remote, but it's mm -hmm. so when somebody moves out, the maintenance tech goes and meets them, and we actually use landlordlocks.com. And so we've been purchasing their locks and every turnover now we've been getting them onto a master lock system. But um, I know they sell the type of locks at Lowe's too, where it's just the core insert. Mm -hmm. So you have like a master control key that will take the core insert out and then you just replace it with another one. So you're mm -hmm. not changing the whole door handle. It's just you little... just take out the core of the deadbolt and the lock and then you're putting in the new one. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, they're labeled like, zero zero three core okay we're gonna put the matching deadbolt key in there that's that key the person moves out we take it out with the master control lock and we're gonna put in you know zero zero eight now mm. or whatever and you know you have all the keys and you know you gotta stay very organized yeah. make sure you have the keys to your locks and everything but um but that way you're not changing handles every single time mm. and with our the previous property management company it was like they were changing the door handle every single time and it was, what a waste of money. money. Yeah. They're very expensive. It is a lot cheaper just to buy the cores. Mm. But also, if you get to the point where you get so many units, you can kind of reuse cores mm -hmm. here and there, you totally. know, and have like those couple extra that bounce around. And then they also have, you can order a core insert that's um, a different color. So I think like we use like all, um, like, I think it's like the the chrome color or whatever, but nickel, yeah. the nickel. And then also we have a brass insert, which is for maintenance and vendors. Mm. So while there is a turnover, we put that one in there. So you look at the door, you know that it's being turned over, but also then that vendor isn't getting a copy of a key for the future tenant's mm. apartment. And we've also changed the locks from the previous person moving out. And that's from landlordlocks.com. 
dot com. Interesting. Yeah. So um, then we do that and turn that over. And then, for example, we we do like to do a move-in inspection with mm. every single person. But what you also could do, if you're not going to be able to meet the person, maybe you already did the move-in inspection, but you're not giving them the keys or something, you can put um, one of those handle lock boxes on there that have a key code, and you can put the set of keys in there and then just tell them what the code is for that lockbox. Mm-hmm. They can get the keys out themselves whenever they get there. Then you can take the lockbox off at any time. And you can even like attach it to the deck railing or something. Mm-hmm. And you can even have a extra set of keys in there, you know, in case they lock themselves out or mm-hmm. something like that too. Yeah. I love, I love the lockbox idea. I feel like every property should have a lockbox somewhere because you never know what, what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our last question today is from Julie Glazer. Is there a way to find out what a property sold for other than asking a realtor? Zillow and the assessor site doesn't seem to be accurate. For example, I purchased a property in September and it's not updated on Zillow for the price I paid. The assessor site had it appraised at 74,000, which is way over what it was actually worth given its condition. I called our recorder of deeds and they do have an online record search, but it's $20 a day or $250 a month. So the first, let's talk about an assessor. Mm -hmm. So when you go to the assessor's website or you look on your tax bill and it says this property is assessed at, this is just this person kind of almost like an appraiser giving their opinion on what the property value is, but it is, which I've always seen is less than what they actually list the market Mm. value of the property. So the sole reason of this is to calculate your property taxes. Mm -hmm. I've never seen any other use of your assessed home's value for other than property taxes. Mm -hmm. So this is not something you want to look at to actually value a property. This is something you do want to look at when you are purchasing a property, though, to see like, okay, they have the, the they are saying the market value of the home is $100,000. they are saying the assessed value is 72000 but I just bought this property for $300,000. So if I go, if the town decides to reassess in two years, my property taxes are actually going to go up because of that new purchase price and it will probably bring up the market value but the I doubt the the assessed value will go up to the that exact 300,000. Mm-hmm. Um you also want to look at that if you if that value is higher than what you actually paid for it or what you actually think the appraised value of the property is or what it could sell for because you want to go to your assessor and go to what they have as grievance day to actually get your property taxes reduced and and lowered. Mm-hmm. So going to the assessor site to find out what a property sold for. Um, you're not really going to find much information by asking what the the assessed value is or what they have determined as the, the market value. Um, and then as far as Zillow, I think a lot of us have looked and seen that Zillow is, is not accurate as far as their Zestimate or even their transaction history mm-hmm. that they show. I I bought a house for fifty four thousand, and it lists so, said that the house sold for five hundred and forty thousand. <laughs> um, so the first place I would go that is free is to Google your county with GIS mapping system. So, for example, where I live, 
Erie County GIS mapping system. So it pulls up kind of like a map and it shows all the little towns and you can put in your address, you can put in an owner's name, you can kind of just zoom in and find a house, find a property, but it'll show you the parcel lines and it'll outline the parcels and usually tell you the the street or the house number in that parcel. You go ahead and click on it. And the information that you usually see is uh, who the owner is, their mailing address, um, the the property taxes, and then you may see the sales transaction history, which would give you your most recent sales price. It's not always listed on there, but that's one way to find it. Um, and then also Bigger Pockets has some software that mm-hmm. you can use that we are so excited to be partnering with. Yeah, Invelo so is a, a software data aggregator. So basically, like that's that. Those records, Julie, you were talking about pulling for twenty bucks a day or two hundred fifty dollars, two hundred fifty dollars per month. Uh, Envelo has access to a lot of that same information, um, so you can use something like Envelo. Prop streaming is another option, but basically you go to these websites and you type in the address, and oftentimes it'll show you the transaction history based on actual county records, uh, not necessarily what. Zillow thinks happen based on like the MLS listings. It's based on the actual county records typically. Uh, and that will show you what that property actually sold for. So I, I do a lot of research on websites like Envelo and PropStream um, and have been able to find, you know, pretty much all the information that you would need <laughs> yeah. on someone. It's kind of scary how much information you can uh, you can find there. Uh, in Buffalo, New York too, they also have a, a website called Buffalo Ors, O-A-R-S. And so other cities may have something similar where it also has data compiled from, um, you know, clerk records. And it also actually does a really good job of showing comparables too of houses that have sold and it's all free to use. And then, and if the property has any pictures that maybe an assessor took um, when they were praising the property, you know, exterior views, those I, I've seen to be found um, on there. And they're oftentimes better than doing the Google street view and kind of walking the streets with the little orange, yellow guy. Yeah, I got to check to see if we have something like that. We're yeah. out here locally. Um, one thing I do want to add though, and we haven't seen this in every market that we invest in, but in some of our markets here in California, in addition, so you, you said earlier, like, Hey, if I buy this property for 500,000, last time it was assessed was 300. Next time that they assess it, it's going to go up. They do that immediately here, at least in the part of California where I live, uh, where as soon as a property changes hands, they're looking for what that new purchase price was. They use that to determine their new assessed value and they send you what's called a supplemental tax bill. So I don't know how they come up with this number. I've, I've asked and haven't really gotten a straight answer, but basically I think you're paying the difference on what it was assessed for before, what it's assessed for now that you own it and you have a year uh, to pay that supplemental tax bill. Um, so when we first started investing out here in California, we kept getting these bills. You know, we weren't accounting for those initially, and they were big bills. You know, like I don't know, two thousand dollars something that you had to pay, uh, which can eat into your cash flow. So just something to be mindful of if you're buying in a new city or a new county. Um, also ask them like, hey, are, are there any fees or, or taxes that I would have to pay based on the property just changing hands? And you you might be surprised what they come back with. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's rookie reply. I'm Ashley at Wealth From Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson. And we will be back on Wednesday with a guest. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.
The market is changing and finding your way can be tricky. Rates shift, headlines whirl, but your goal hasn't changed. You want financial freedom. And the best investors know it's not about timing the market. It's about time in the market. If you're ready to get into the real estate investing game or take your game to the next level, finding an investor-friendly agent is your next step. With BiggerPockets Agent Finder, you can find the right agent in minutes. Just head to biggerpockets.com slash deals, enter a few details about what and where you want to buy, and boom, instantly match with an investor-friendly agent who fits the bill. These local market experts can help you navigate the neighborhoods, analyze the numbers, and take action with confidence once and for all. There's free resources only available at biggerpockets.com slash deals. Get an agent, get the deal, and get closer to financial freedom at biggerpockets.com slash deals. That's biggerpockets.com slash deals to find your investor-friendly agent today. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.